Today's episode is brought to you by The Star Draft. Do you feel like you always know the Oscar nominees before they're announced, or wish that you could share just a bit of Meryl Streep's Oscar glory? Well, now you can. Experience awards season like never before. Sign up today to create or join a league at www.thestardraft.com. We share the, the same love, the, the love of film. And now what I'm about to say probably will stir up a lot of conversation around over the country. You commie, homo-loving sons of guns. It's not about you. It's about these characters. They are two of the finest gay Americans, two wonderful men. And I am greatly honored and tremendously moved. Don't let anybody tell you this isn't a terrific thrill. It would be a lie if I told you I didn't know what to say because I've been working on this speech for about 25 years. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. You're worried about the Ayatollah? Try the WGA. I'm Joe Gentile. I'm old and I'm going home. I'm Brandon Stanwick. And welcome back to Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade, per category. And this is the men of 2012. Brandon, we have reached 2012 again, my favorite Oscar year of this past decade. Um, Of course, with the ladies of 2012, we were very different, uh, which is always fun. Um, How do you feel we're going to line up this time? Um, I have a feeling we might line up a little more closely than we did with the ladies, mm-hmm. but, um, you're definitely more passionate about this year overall than I am. Uh, I don't dislike this year, but I know this is a very, uh, close year for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for some reason, if you joined us for the first time ever, starting with the men, welcome. Um, so if you've never heard the 2012, I'll just briefly go over it. That was kind of the year, even though I had been watching, um the oscars full time since probably seventh grade so it was like 2005 this was like the first time where i just got really passionate and like put money on it and like made sure to see not just the 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 big nominations but like every nominated film um so it 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 has a very special dear closeness to my heart except for one movie which we'll have to talk about again here and uh yeah so 2012 is a one that i personally love a lot i believe i I think i said this on the women episode but this is one of the first years where i was seeing um i think it was this year a lot of the movies in the theater for the first time because i had a a gift card to the cleveland cinemas for like 150 dollars because i had starred in their little theater etiquette video that plays in the theater prior to the movies you know the little video that's like don't put your feet up on the seats shut the fuck up stop texting (laughs) i was like one of the two main people in it so they and they paid me in the form of a 150 dollar gift card and so um this was one of the first years where i actually saw almost everything in the theater at least everything that was coming to the capitol theater on the west side of cleveland yeah yeah uh, which is funny because I've seen that video and I feel like you had told me this and what you have. And I'm just like, I don't, I have to see, like when theaters open up again, I want to go back. Cause I'm like, I need to see this. Cause I feel like, I feel like you told me and then I totally forgot about it. And then I went there and I was like, you're not in that. And you're like, yes, I am. So <laughs> I must see this. And yeah, that was like seven or eight years ago though. So they might be replacing it soon. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah. yeah, I was, I was, people recognized me in Cleveland 
very strangely. Like, like people at the film festival, like I'd go to the Cleveland International Film Festival, and, you know, people attending that are big movie people. And so they see things at the Cleveland cinemas. And so strangers would be like, oh, you're in that video. And I'm like, oh, God, yeah, that's me. Just to total strangers. It was interesting. Well, imagine, I mean, getting recognized in Cleveland is... I, I don't want to say it's not hard, but you have to have, like, a reason, I guess, for people to notice you, which I guess is, like, getting recognized anyway. But fun mm-hmm. little story. When I had first started off in um, uh, in comedy here, probably, like, eight months in or so, I have a signature joke that um, I do at every show that I get hired for, and it's pretty much about gay fisting. And I remember being in Walgreens in the Cam's Corner area by my apartment, and uh, I was in the card aisle, and it was from uh, like like Mother's Day or something. But it wasn't. I wasn't getting a card for my mom because fuck her. And uh, I was getting a card for a friend's birthday. And so of course it's Mother's Day. Everyone's in the card aisle, and I spin around, and this guy's like, "You're the fisting guy." And I was like, "Ooh, that's my legacy now." I was like, "Shit." And of course, you have everyone like looking at you. You're the fisting guy, so yeah, it can be quite embarrassing on what people remember you by. And then I had to think to myself, I was like, "All right, is it the comedy or is it a video? <laughs> like, what is he?" Saying? No, but uh, your yeah. OnlyFans. <laughs> this is the OnlyFans. I was like, "Fuck!" But yeah, it can be interesting. Um, speaking of interesting, I just want to note that the questions we have for this week have nothing to do with anybody except for the men in supporting. Very interesting, oh, the few questions we got here. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get many for this week, but uh, yeah, all supporting. But, Brandon, before we get started, I'm going to take a f- crack at you here. Um, Supporting? I don't know, because I feel like you can go one of three ways, but I'm not sure if you're going to consider this person... You know, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say supporting, you're going to go De Niro for Silver Linings. And for lead, I could see you going for Joaquin for The Master. So I'm going to say those two for you. Okay. Um, I have a feeling you're going with the double Silver Linings, uh, Bradley Cooper and um, Robert De Niro. All right. Bold. Like that. Let's see what happens. Um, is there anything else you want to mention before we get started? Um, I don't think so. All right, all right. Take us away, sir. All right. Well, your nominees for Best Actor in a Supporting Role in 2012 were... Alan Arkin, Argo. Robert De Niro, Silver Linings Playbook. Seymour Hoffman, The Master. Tommy Lee Jones, Lincoln. Christoph Waltz, Django Unchained. Let's start with our winner for the year, Christoph Waltz, uh, winning for Django Unchained. This is his second of two wins and nominations. So as of right now, he has a perfect record at the Oscars. Um, Going into this, he wins the Golden Globe and the BAFTA, and he's recognized with the Los Angeles Film Critics and the New York Film Critics. 
In Django Unchained, uh, Christoph plays Dr. King Schultz, a dentist turned bounty hunter who helps a freed slave rescue his enslaved wife from Candyland, one of the most infamous plantations in the South. So how do you feel about Christoph Waltz in Django Unchained? Well, it's going to come up eventually just because it always does, but let's just talk about it right off the bat. The category fraud of this performance is really disheartening because this is a really good performance. Um, I really like it. And I know people kind of shit on this one now looking back at it because they're like, it's too similar to what he was doing in Inglorious Bastards. And then I'm like, did you see this movie and see Inglorious Bastards? Because the characters couldn't be more different. Um, maybe his giggly, googly, like, that's a bingo like that line may be similar to in inglorious to this but it's very different i don't understand that criticism that people say makes no sense um christoph is really fun here he's you can root for him you can kind of cheer him well no you can't you can root for him you can cheer him on you can kind of be mad at him at points you can ask yourself what the fuck like even to this day i always never remember how the bar scene ends i'm like okay he goes outside and then what he just shoots him in the street I'm like wait a minute what and you know we were almost, oh my god we're 10 years removed from this movie by the time this episode comes out so you know it's been a while that it's been out you know or nine years i should say uh it's been a while that this movie has been out and i it still gets me and that's the power to his acting but it is really sad that, that they ran him in um, in supporting because Fox ran lead when this is clearly a co-lead film. I mean, the man has oh, a well over an hour of screen time. In fact, according to Screen Time Central, it's about an hour six of this movie, um, which is funny too, because the movie's edited so well that it doesn't feel like it. So when I had uh, seen this in theaters originally, I was like, okay, I could maybe see the supporting um, supportingness of that. But it w really wasn't until the rewatches and then, of course, Screen Time Central years later coming together to really tell me how much he's in it. Um, but, yeah, I really like this. It's just unfortunate for him. Yeah, I think he's really quite good in it as well. Um, I guess I kind of see why people would lump the two performances together and say that there's a lot of similarities. But that's um, really just because he's playing two charismatic people. But they're charismatic in two very different ways, and they function quite differently in each of the films. Um, something I think a lot of people might also be picking up on here in Django is this role was undoubtedly written for uh, Christoph Waltz, or Waltz. I'm, I'm sure it's probably a V pronunciation, and my Americanism is making it a W. But um, so, you know, he wins the Oscar for Inglourious Bastards. He and Tarantino clearly have a bond. Tarantino writes him a role. He's literally playing a German character um, who is in, you know, America and becomes a, he's a dentist turned bounty hunter. Like, how radical is that? And Christoph is making the most of it. Um, you know, he's, he's a hero doing really tricky kind of dark things. Um, I mean, it starts right off the bat with him killing, uh, this, uh, these slave traders and freeing these slaves. So, I mean, right away we understand that even though he is a bounty hunter and he kills people, he is doing it for 
the right reasons, uh, however you want to, you know, define that. And um, he's funny as hell in this. He's so charming. And he is so lively uh, throughout the entire movie. Um, I will admit, for many years, I was one of those people that kind of wrote off um, this performance. Um, I remember liking him at the time when I saw this in the theater, and I will concur that the editing of this is so well done. Um, this is nearly a three-hour movie, and sitting in the theater, it did not feel like it whatsoever. And um, Christoph uh, just shines uh, from moment to moment. Um, and revisiting it um, this last time, um, I had to correct myself and... Um, remind myself that, no, he is truly great in this movie. And based off performance alone, he deserved the awards recognition. Um, but then, like you mentioned, um, it kind of has to be addressed. He probably should not be in this category. Um, he is pretty much a co-lead with Jamie Foxx. Um, you could argue that this is Jamie Foxx's story. This is the story of Django. Um, but, uh, Dr. King Schultz is far too integral to the story. He's there for nearly all of it. Um, if you want to tie in the screen time thing, um, it's pretty much a co-lead performance. Um, so the, the category is very questionable with this, but, um, he is quite good in the role, I have to admit. Agreed. Agreed. Now, our first question goes with this um, from Nick Cipriano and then a follow up right away with Tim from Tim B. Although Christoph Waltz received most of the support for Django Unchained, many believe Leo DiCaprio gave superior performance as Calvin Candy. I assume he missed due to a certain someone committing category fraud. Wink, wink, smiley face, teeth emoji. That's cute, Nick. Uh, major kudos. Uh, would you include him in your lineup, and where would you rank him? You or me first? Um, I'll kick things off here. Um, I think Leo DiCaprio absolutely uh, deserved a nomination. He would probably make my lineup. Um, he is more um, clearly a supporting character in this. I mean, I don't think you can really even argue that he's a lead. It's a juicy supporting part. He's in a solid chunk there. Um in the middle, middle toward the end. Um, but it's, it's a supporting part in Django and uh, Schultz's journey. Um, it's a very showy role for Leo DiCaprio, and I don't mean that in a bad way, considering who he's playing and the very um, wicked charisma that this character needs to have in order to be a threat or to be clearly seen as an evil presence. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it'd be a great role or a great nomination for Leo had he received it. It's too bad um, a certain producer decided to play the game that he was so good at playing and put Waltz in um, supporting. Uh, I'll save where I would put Leo in the ranking until the end, um, just because that's where we do things. But yeah, I would, I would support um, a nomination for DiCaprio for this film. Well, I'm going to be a little different and I'm going to say right off the bat, if DiCaprio was in this lineup, he'd be my winner. Um, hands down. Um, this is, since I saw the film, I, 
I never really understood the, I mean, the Globes did nominate him for supporting and he lost to Vaults. And the, and I never understood that even from that moment. And I think this is Leo's best role. I think this is the best acting we've ever seen from Leo. Um, and it's actually a role that despite the horrific things this character does that I've, I've always wanted to play if they ever do like a stage version or I mean, not, I don't really think you could do a stage version of this movie at all. But like something like the idea of Calvin Candy and how juicy that role is. I'm like, let me sink my teeth into that because he is so vile and so disgusting. I'm like, yes, I think this role as a performer is is an actor's dream because you can do so much and really get to be gross. Now, regarding, um, yeah, I do think the the whole producer aspect really fucked the, his chances here. And I definitely wish that he would be in this lineup because goddamn would he be my winner. So that's that. Um, Tim B then wants to add the question, would you include Samuel L. Jackson in your lineup? And would you rank him higher than Vaults and Leo altogether? Sam Jackson is so good in this movie in a role that is so different from what we're used to seeing him play. I mean, his character is despicable, but in a way that I can't help but understand why he is the way he is. It doesn't mean I necessarily forgive him, but I understand why someone in his position would uh, take the take on the the role that he does in that household and on that plantation. Um, but looking at the performance and what Samuel L. Jackson does with it, I would have supported a nomination uh, just because he is he, it's so outside of what we're accustomed to seeing, and I think he and Tarantino do a pretty good job of showing the layers to this character while also not shying away from how troublesome it is that he would do the things that he's doing. I mean, I'm kind of struggling to put it into words, but I think folks who've seen the film can gather what I mean. Yeah. Remember back, we were throwing it way back when we did the Nashville episode and we were like, you could literally fill up this entire category with the women of Nashville. You could have filled up the entire acting categories, I feel, with people from Django, really looking at it. And Sam Jackson is one of those. Um, I think he's amazing here. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm, I think he was a really big ch chance of a wild card this year. Um, because I think he was on like the the Hollywood Reporter's uh, Oscar Roundtable and a few other things, so it wasn't out of the realm of possibilities that he could get in. Yeah, uh, another supporting player that I'm just gonna throw out there is I think Don Johnson is really yes. good in this movie. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. He's awful, but he makes me laugh in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable. Like when Schultz and Django go to his his plantation and he's trying to explain to the slave woman how to treat Django like he's not a slave. And the woman's like, oh, you want me to treat him like a white man? And Don Johnson's like, no, no, that's not what I said. And the way he delivers that line, it's horrible what he's saying, because he's he's literally saying that Django is still subhuman, even though he is free. But the way 
Johnson seems to be making fun of his own character while still kind of being true to the character in the screwy mood of this world is um is is really uh astute of him and i really like it here's the thing don johnson as big daddy is fucking hilarious in that movie um i would even include jonah hill in this category i mean his his cameo is hilarious that's what i mean like you could literally fill up the entire supporting acting category alone with the men from django I mean, it, I, I would have done it, to be honest. So. Yeah, I I hate how much I love that Jonah Hill scene with the hoods. Can the fucking horses see? My friends and I, we, <laughs> we quote that all the time. Because, like, if, like, the way my friend has her TV set up is that it's, like, on the wall really, really high. Like, she's the fucking tall man or something. And I'm, like... I can't fucking see. And then someone will always be like, it doesn't matter if you can fucking see, can the fucking horses see? So we, we quote that shit all the time. Yeah. Such a funny, funny fucking part in that movie. And it's like, it's what makes it so funny too. And just the best is that it's like the just desserts of the most like despicable people. So you're like, fuck yeah. So it, 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 I don't, it doesn't make you feel bad for liking that scene. Yeah. I love, I used to quote the line, um, no, nobody brought a second bag. All the time. Um, and they're making fun of that guy's wife because she doesn't know how to cut eye holes. It's it's so stupid. And you you hate those people so much, but you can't help but laugh at their own stupidity. And then you know bad things happen to them right after that. So it's it's fine to laugh at them. Dude, art mimics life, mimicking art. We just had it with the fucking... With this shit of four years. Like, all the... You know what I mean? Like... Uh, it's so good. It's so good. Anyway, I love that we just spent the whole first, like, half of this <laughs> on one guy. Yeah, we spent, like, 20% of the Christoph Waltz section talking about Christoph Waltz. Right. <laughs> but he is quite good. I don't want it to make that an indication that he's not good. But um, anything else on specifically Waltz? Nope. Okay. Uh, next, we have Alan Arkin, nominated for Argo. This is his fourth of four nominations. Um, going into this, his only major win is with as part of the SAG Ensemble. So it's not a solo award, but still pretty noteworthy. He is recognized as an individual performer with SAG, as well as with uh, the Golden Globes, BAFTA, and Critics' Choice. In Argo, Alan Arkin plays Lester Siegel, a Hollywood producer assisting the CIA with producing a fake movie as part of a cover for a dangerous rescue mission. So how do you feel about Alan Arkin in Argo? I really like this nomination. I know um, a lot of people then and a lot of people now give this one shit because they're like, John Goodman. I'm like, yeah, he's good too. Like, I wouldn't not not nominate him, but that doesn't mean Arkin's not doing really good work here. And the thing about it is, is like, you don't really think Alan Arkin, like, comedian, but he's really funny here. He takes about eight and a half minutes of screen time and essentially a role that anyone could have played and truly makes it his own because it's like kind of like the grumpy old man shtick, but he's like, oh, fuck. And you got to remember, too, like the time period that this takes place in the late 70s, early 80s, where people were a lot looser in ways that they are now, if you can believe that. And, you know, I mean, there's a scene in this in this movie where 
they're doing this fake movie read through and he's you know this woman comes up and she's like look who i'm playing he's like who are you playing toots and he's like she's this like the the space witch let's get a drink later he's like keep that fucking space witch away from me you know her yeah i was married to her like this dude is just like kind of what i want to be when i get old is just a is snarky you know son of a bitch and i love it i think it's really good i don't think he gets enough credit here and for only having about eight and a half minutes he really does shine um i think argo is a great film you know we haven't talked about it yet um i actually i only had seen this once in theaters when it had first come out and it had me on the edge of my seat because I wasn't back then as it was very always political, but I wasn't into the idea of uh, like studying politics and history, not just American history, but world history like I am now. And so I, I wasn't aware of this scenario and this crisis that had happened when I had seen this movie. So I was like, Oh my God, are they going to get out? Are they going to get out? The first time I had revisited this movie was for this podcast, and I and I and I had the same reaction. I was like, "Oh my god!" Even you know, nine years later, this movie still fucking gets me. And I'm like, "That's just the brilliantness of this film." I think the film is great. Um, I think he's great. I think everyone's great in this movie. And y'all need to lay off Alan Arkin because he's doing really good work here. Yeah, this is another one of those nominations from this lineup that people kind of scoff at a lot. Um, I think it's partially because uh, Alan Arkin is given so many good lines in it. I mean, the best lines in the movie are Alan Arkin's. Um, every scene that he's in, he's the best part about it. I mean, everyone always says he only got in because of Argo, fuck yourself, and, and things like that. And it is, it's a good line. And he says it well, but I think he's doing much more than that. He's creating a whole character here. Um... Like when they're uh, trying to figure out what script to use as their their cover or whatever. And um, someone says, it doesn't matter what we do. It's a fake movie. And he's like, well, if it's a fake movie, it's going to be a fake hit. And these like really memorable lines that I think get into people's heads and um, has a, a bit of a double-edged sword nature to it because he is truly really good here. But because these lines are so written for a standout supporting part. I think a lot of people assume that he got in because of the writing more so than his own abilities as an actor. And I think two things can be true at the same time. He is given some really great stuff to work with here, but he is making the most of it. In I think he's just about my favorite thing about every scene that he's in. He and John Goodman, who are a great pair, in this movie and John Goodman's great too. And I would not have minded um, if he had been nominated also or in place of Arkin, but I'm not going to hold um, the, uh, the, the great script writing against Arkin himself. I think that's unfair. So um, I do like this one more than I guess most people on the internet seem to. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a good one. And we got to remember, too, I do bring this up a lot. Um, you have to think of what this film did to the pop culture zeitgeist. The, the whole line of Argo, fuck yourself, was like the one thing people wouldn't stop saying for this solid year after this movie came out. Um, you know, if you had seen the movie, that, Argo, fuck yourself. I mean, that was it. And without Arkin's delivery of that, 
the few times in the film, would it have become that big of a hit? Don't know. Think about that. So, yeah, it's a goodie. I didn't realize, like, I had forgotten how often that line is said in the movie. See, I swear, that, that line is said, like, six times in the movie. And not same. all not always by Arkin. Yeah, same. I was like, oh, this again, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he's quite good. And I don't think he deserves the, um, you know, the disrespect that has come in the years since. Agreed. Okay, uh, next we have Robert De Niro, uh, nominated for Silver Linings Playbook. This is his seventh of seven acting nominations. He does not win anything super major going into this, but he is recognized uh, with SAG, both as a supporting player and as part of the ensemble. He's also nominated with Critics' Choice and with the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards. In Silver Linings Playbook, Robert De Niro plays Pat Sr., the superstitious father of Bradley Cooper's Pat Jr. So, um... How do you feel about Robert De Niro in Silver Linings Playbook? All right. So, De Niro, welcome back to the Oscars. Now, I'm actually excited because this is the first time we get to talk Robert De Niro. And it'll be a long time before we get to talk about De Niro again because this is his first uh, Oscar nomination since Awakening. No, I'm sorry, Cape Fear in 1991. So there is going to be a giant gap between where we talk about him again. Um, Silver Linings, uh, as we know from the episode with the women, I am a fan of. I think it's a, I think it's a fun movie. I think it's a, it's a delightful movie, except for Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I still do think that she is horribly miscast in that movie. And it is what it is, though. But I still work through it when I obviously watch it. And, you know, I did give Jackie Weaver the Oscar win there. Justice for Jackie Weaver. Um, with that said, De Niro is really good here. Um, there isn't one part in this movie that he isn't on screen that I'm not enjoying his performance. Um, you know, it's sad. It's funny. It's over the top. It's ridiculous. It feels like out of all of the De Niro nominations, this is the first time we really kind of see him having fun with a film role out of his nominations, obviously, here. Um, because, you know, stuff like Meet the Parents, that was fun. Um, but, yeah, this is this is good. I, I do like this. Um, this is one that I do also weirdly find people dissing on. People, do you like any performance that isn't Philip Seymour Hoffman in this lineup? Please tell me. Um, and I don't get it. I don't think it's a very fair... Um, fair uh criticism on him because they, it, they it's always like i don't like this one okay then tell me why i don't i don't really know if i haven't heard fair criticism in the realm of why you don't like this one um so you know what i'll, I'll just say it. i think he's i think he's good this is a deserved nomination and i would like more comedy from de niro that gets recognized so kudos i think part of the blowback on this performance is simply um, De Niro makes it look so easy. Um, this is not one of his showier roles. This isn't one of those in-your-face roles like, say, Taxi Driver or Raging Bull or even Cape Fear. Um, it's a very down-to-earth, relatable guy that De Niro adds humanity and layers to. Um, Pat Sr. is someone with a lot of feelings, um, whether he shows them or not. I mean, he's 
a man of his generation. So, of course, he's going to be a little more buttoned up and reserved because, you know, men have been conditioned for a long time to not show their sympathies and compassions and feelings. And um, when uh, De Niro does have his little um, heart-to-heart um, breakdown moment, um, I think it comes across as really sincere. Um, this is someone who's probably hasn't cried since he was a child. And um, I think De Niro makes this character very fully rounded. Um, and there's also a lot of humor to it. I find how superstitious he is about these football games really endearing and kind of funny. Like, like I know people that are semi-superstitious about things like that in real life, but they're not quite that committed to it. It's like people just don't want to say or do things that might jinx the the outcome. But his like rituals that he has are um, they're funny and um, still kind of believable. Like I completely believe that this person um, exists out there in the world uh, with his quirky wife who makes up for how unquirky he is with an asterisk uh, being the um the superstitious aspect but um i think de niro gets a little bit of pushback from this nomination as well just simply because he makes it look so easy and it doesn't look like he's acting um i think a lot of people forget that you don't have to look like you're acting in order to act um but yeah i think it's um I think it's a noteworthy performance in his body of work, and um, I don't mind the nomination whatsoever. Yeah, um, it's it's fascinating, too, because I guess for me, if you take away my love for Silver Linings Playbook, it also feels a lot of Italian men at that age growing up had that type of Pat Solitano attitude. So maybe for me, the way I connect to it a little bit different from others is just, it kind of feels like home in a way. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's saying like the home is where the heart is and you get like certain things. I mean, for a perfect example, you left home and you moved to Cleveland and then you moved to, to, uh, to Baltimore. So like you, I'm sure there are things you may see that remind you of home and it's like, Oh, home is where the heart is that, that type of thing. I, I, I think that also is why I turn to SLP is because there's those moments of holy fuck that's so Italian so I don't know I would like to dive into the psychology of that a little bit with the way you connect with things you know yeah I mean I had a very similar response to Nebraska like even though I'm not from Montana or Nebraska um, where those two movies primarily take place or is it Wyoming I think it's Montana I don't remember but there is something so homey about those characters, even me being from Ohio, I related to the way they spoke and the way they occupied the spaces that they took up. And like, speaking of, you know, sports, um, I've never really been a huge sports fanatic, but I have not wanted to be back in Cleveland or be back in Ohio more than this past weekend when Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns destroyed the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, I was brought up conditioned to hate the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, even though I did not watch football, uh, it was just a commonality 
we don't like the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is so stupid and silly uh, looking back on it now. But even today, like these past two weekends in a row, actually, because there was like the regular season and then the playoffs, Cleveland played Pittsburgh back-to-back weekends and won both times. For some reason, even though I don't really pay attention to sports, I didn't even watch either of the games. Just the fact that those things happened made me want to physically be in Ohio again. It was very strange. So um, I can see why um, you could have a a very familial connection um, to this character. 100%. Um, we have a question from Christoph. This is uh, Robert De Niro's only acting nomination since Cape Fear. Are there other films in this time, an example after 1991 to 2011, for which he should have been nominated? Bonus points for anyone who mentions Jackie Brown. Um, Meet the Parents would have been a great one. I know the Globes nominated him for that. Um, that would have been 2000, so we'll get to that category eventually. Uh, but yeah, I think Meet the Parents would have been a great one. Um, offhand to, I don't, th- I think that would have been it. Yeah, I'm there, trying to think. Uh, there was a weird point with Robert Dino's career. It's even weird now. After the early 90s, he got really odd with his films. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's iconic in Meet the Parents. Um I like him in Heat, but I haven't seen it recently enough to um, say for certain whether I would have nominated him. He's also pretty good in Casino. I wouldn't have been mad about that. But honestly, in that period, in between Cape Fear and Silver Linings, he didn't really do a whole lot that speaks to me as far as awards contention goes. Mm Mm-hmm. Same. I mean, even after... Silver Linings, his, uh, yeah, oof, looking at this. I mean, he clearly kept working and kept busy. He just wasn't exactly doing, you know, Oscar-worthy films for the most part, aside from, you know, Casino. I mean, um, looking at it, too, even after this, he could have gone with two nominations last year with Joker and The Irishman. I wouldn't have been mad by a double nominee for that. Yeah, I thought he was quite good in both of those. So, but yeah, that's it. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, next we have Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, nominated for The Master. This is his fourth of four nominations. Um, Going into this, he does get a pretty significant win with Critics' Choice. And he's also recognized uh, with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, and the National Society of Film Critics. In The Master, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Lancaster Dodd, the charismatic figurehead of a cult uh, known as The Cause. And um, before you hear our takes on Philip Seymour Hoffman, we have a clip from Madison Azarian, who is one of our um, Twitter contest winners uh, from last season. And here is her take on Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master. So I wanted to shout out one of, if not my favorite actors of all time, and that's Philip Seymour Hoffman and, of course, his performance in The Master. Um, While it's a film I'm not crazy about, even though I'm a huge Paul Thomas Anderson fan, I think the one thing that has always stuck with me is Hoffman's performance as 
this cult philosophical leader who to a viewer you think this guy's so full of bullshit uh, but from Hoffman's performance and the way he walks talks his mannerisms and ultimately his charisma you get why people are attracted to him and follow him around the country to teach other people his beliefs and his methods and it's so brilliant I think the scene where the guy confronts him and critiques his methods is top tier it shows off everything I love about Hoffman's acting I think the other performers Adams and Phoenix are only elevated by his presence I think Adams's best scene is right after that one where she's so pissed that people are questioning them and Phoenix's best is of course that question and answer and without Hoffman I just don't think it's the same and I so wish that he had been awarded for this I think the vault win is honestly kind of bizarre especially after he was awarded just a few years prior for an undeniable performance in Inglorious um, it made no sense to me why they were so eager to award him again, especially for a kind of just fine performance. And I think Hoffman here gives us one of the greats of the decade. And I think his presence is truly missed in the industry. And I wish he had been nominated more than he was. And I think a win or two extra um, would not have been undeserved. Okay, Joey, so how do you feel about Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master? Man, this Donald Trump biopic was fucking tits. Um, I have a very love-hate relationship with this movie, but let me just say the hate is not with Philip Seymour Hoffman here. Um, This is a, (laughs) pun intended, masterful performance. Um, truly, truly the best thing about this damn movie is this role. Um, and it is one that is creepy and unnerving, yet you find sympathy for this guy and the scenario. And then I know we talked about this with the women, but, you know, there's this idea this whole time that he's actually controlling everything, but I truly believe that, it, you know, finding out that it's Amy Adams running the show, he's just the proxy for her, is also fascinating. Because then you realize the con man got conned. And it's, he really does run the gambit and or the spectrum or whatever I'm trying to say here. Like the gambit of, of, um, uh, of emotion here w- with you. It really kind of fucks with you. I know I don't know if this is the best visual I can use for this, but to give an example of how this movie makes me mentally feel, I feel like my mind is in a saw trap with this movie because you're getting puzzle pieces and trying to figure it out with what's going on. And then I I, I, I am going to stick with that. If I ever meet PTA one day, I want to just be like, yo, is Amy Adams the actual master here? Because this is how this movie interprets to me. And then to get to the end, I'm like, mind blown. Um, and Hoffman's performance, I mean, Hoffman was a, a genius. I, I really I really do get sad because this is, well, yeah, this is the first time we get to talk about him. Because Philip Seymour Hoffman, it was, god damn, was he uh, a talented man. And it makes me really sad to know that we lost him 
um because he succumbed to his addiction which is you know horrible but it makes me sad because i'm like i i wonder what we would get from him now and you know being a being an actor being a musician being a director you you're forever on celluloid or you're forever on a radio wave and your work is always there for the end of time. So in a way you do live forever, but it is, it, it is a, it is a sad ending because performance after performance from almost famous to this, I mean, and everything else in between Philip Seymour Hoffman had a way that you were just drawn to him, whether you liked his character or not. Um, it was almost like getting a comforting hug from a friend we haven't seen in a very long time. And uh, yeah, I, I guess if you're going to go out, what a nomination to go out on because it's brilliant. It's, it's mind fucking brilliant. And uh, I miss him. I do. This is one that, this is one that hurts. Yeah. Um, this performance is fantastic. Um, now, it's funny talking about this back-to-back with De Niro and Playbook because, I mean, this is acting, but not in a bad way whatsoever. Um, it's sort of like um, Leo DiCaprio as Calvin Candy. You sort of need this charismatic uh, presence in order to play this character, um, in order to be the figurehead of this cult. And I specifically use the word figurehead and not leader and did not say that he's the master because i also agree that there are a lot of clues in this movie that the amy adams character is actually the puppeteer uh in the shadows but um lancaster dodd is magnetic uh he commands your attention um he takes up all the air in the room um when he wants to and it's truly like you said, a masterful performance. I wonder how many critics used that term back when this uh, came out. Probably most. Um, but yeah, it's it really makes you wonder what Hoffman would be doing today. Um, he was truly one of the greats of his his generation, and it really does it does hurt watching not just this performance, but really any. Like um, a couple seasons ago, when I revisited The Savages. Um, I had similar feelings because he is so damn good in the savages as Laura Lenny's uh, neurotic brother. And um, it's, it's really heartbreaking uh, what ended up happening to him. Uh, my sympathies are with him. I, I understand to a degree. Um, of course I cannot, I'm not in his position, but it's, it's hard to talk about, um, but in the movie, he is he's using his strengths to the fullest extent and firing on all cylinders and creating this, um, this high-energy presence that a figurehead of a cult needs. I mean, this is a person who needs to be able to persuade people to join someone who people can look up to, uh, people need to be able to see him as like a father figure and a mentor and he needs to fill a lot of um, capacities 
in order to keep this ship afloat. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's great here. He radiates this character um, in every frame. Uh, his voice is so freaking good in this. Like, I'm obsessed with the way he speaks, uh, the way he carries himself. Uh, he seems very aware of his body in this particular film and how he is um, always presenting himself as the face of the cause. Um, it's unfortunate that this is his last um, nomination, but um, like you were saying, I think it's it's a quote-unquote good one to go out on. Like I feel weird just saying that, but um, if if one performance was to be the conclusion of his run at the uh, at the Oscars, um, I think it it's fitting that it's this one. Yeah, and you know. I, I, I echo everything you mentioned. And, you know, while it is the end for him, it is also the beginning for us because we still, you know, he's got four altogether. So you and I next season can talk about him three more times at least. So, you know, I'm excited to dive into those, but it is really, um, it's sad. Mm -hmm. So, um, Let's see, did we have anything on him there? We did not. Oh, no questions about Philip Seymour Hoffman? No, it's very odd. The questions that we got were mostly, like, the other two just have to deal with the entire category lineup, and then that's it. We didn't get anything else this year for questions on that. It's very odd. Yeah, this seems, I would imagine this is like the um the online winner of this category. So I'd imagine, I, I figured at least one person would ask about it. But um, I did just sort of think of something here. I remember earlier when we were talking about um, Django Unchained and how the Dr. King Schultz character was very much written for Christoph uh, Waltz. I feel like um, the master, um, the uh, Lancaster Dodd character, was very much written for Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, he and PTA had worked together before. Um, they, were, they clearly respected one another's craft. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman was literally the only person that PTA saw playing this part. And not just it was written for him, but like this movie could not exist if Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, didn't want to do it or turned it down. Um, but it doesn't quite play like how some other movies will be very obviously written for a specific person as a vehicle. But perhaps that's, you know, just Philip Seymour Hoffman being an incredible performer and PTA being a little more subtle with his own fandom of his friends. Um, but um, everything about this performance is um, just 100% Philip Seymour Hoffman. And so I can see why a lot of people would rally around this performance, not just because it's the last nomination. Yeah, yeah. You know, I always say if you want to become an actor, yeah, you could you could totally pay for an acting class. I personally don't believe in acting classes. I don't think you can teach acting. It's I said this before in our, our episode with Tyler Davidson. It's like with comedy, like I've had people be like, can you teach me? I'm like, no, I can't. You're either funny or you're not. Um, I feel that same with acting. Shelley Duvall once said, and I think it's the most beautiful thing. 
And it's the truest thing. She never went to an acting class because she enjoys the organic process of it, finding it for herself. So I don't I truly don't think like the Meisner method and all that Strasberg stuff. I, I don't believe it in it because I don't think you can teach it. And so I always say if you want to save your money on an acting class, when it comes to women, the one performance, or even men in general, but the female performance, you can learn anything you ever want to is is uh, Ellen Burstyn and Requiem for a Dream. She'll teach you acting watching that movie. The other one is Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master and in Doubt. So if you want to save money in an acting class, those are the three movies you need to watch and watch those performances. Well, I don't think you can teach talent, but you can teach technique. I mean, you can teach different ways to approach That's material. what I mean. You can't teach it. You either have it or you don't. That's why I don't personally believe in that stuff. But if you want to save money on classes, those are the three performances I recommend you watching. Hoffman okay. and Burstyn. All right. Well, our fifth nominee is Tommy Lee Jones in Lincoln. This is his fourth of four nominations. Uh, going into this, he wins uh, with SAG as a supporting actor. He is also nominated with SAG as part of the ensemble. And he is also nominated with the Globes, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, and the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards. In Lincoln, Tommy Lee Jones plays Thaddeus Stevens, a congressman who was a fierce opponent of slavery and a proponent of equal rights. So um, how do you feel about Tommy Lee Jones in Lincoln? The best thing we got from Tommy Lee Jones in Lincoln was his damn Golden Globe reaction that year for <laughs> Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig. Uh, making fun of Hope Springs and then SNL making fun of him with Bill Hader playing him in this. I also find this very interesting. What you said, he took SAG for this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. That was a choice. Um, I want to keep this one short just because I don't really have anything on it. I think Lincoln is a very okay movie. Um, I think it's very overrated um, performances included. And, it's fine, but it's just Tommy Lee Jones being a grumpy old man, and that's just him in his daily life, so I'm good. <laughs> I think he's more than just Tommy Lee Jones being grumpy in here. Um, I quite like Tommy Lee Jones in this film. If I recall, I think he was my winner on the night. I don't remember if I had seen all of the performances in the lineup, but I remember being quite enamored with him in it. Um, Tommy Lee Jones is one of those um, fascinating actors to look at their body of work because uh, he doesn't really have that many um, roles that you would think of as like standout Oscar material. He's had a few sprinkled in. Um, he's, he was nominated for a couple, uh, was not nominated for some more. But for the most part, he seems like one of those actors who just has a very distinct personality and he was cast for a while i think based on that personality and the the recognition of his name and face um i guess he was one of the more bankable stars of his generation there for a while um like in the 90s um whose talents were not always serviced by the movies he was doing but you know he was making money and living his life and so good for him but um on the few occasions where i think tommy lee jones has been able to really 
sink his teeth into something with some substance to it, um, he does turn out. I mean, this is a guy who was doing Tennessee Williams plays in his youth before he became, you know, a, a Hollywood face. So he's he's got some background in, um, you know, acting, acting. And uh, I think Lincoln is a pretty good showcase of what he's capable of. I think it reminded a lot of people that he's not just a man in black. Um, this is a very charismatic character, like Lancaster Dodd and Dr. King Schultz, but in a different way. Um, he's a, a purveyor of, you know, equal rights, and he's not afraid to stir the pot. Um, they're on the floor of Congress. So it's a it's a character that is very easy to rally behind, uh, considering what he stood for and um, what he spent his political career fighting for. Um, he did not win every battle that he fought in that regard, but he at least fought. So um, Tommy Lee Jones kind of, uh, he captures the... Uh, the lion-like presence of this person and also brings a lot of um, humanity to him. He's not, you know, just this superhero on the floor of the Capitol. He's a person um, with limitations and faults. And uh, I'm really glad that Steven Spielberg was able to bring that out in Tommy Lee Jones, um, someone who hadn't really been seen um as you know an, an actor as opposed to a movie star in a while um i mean he had he had um in the valley of Allah or however you say it there not too long prior to this but for the most part i feel like tommy lee jones is sort of just seen as a blockbuster star as opposed to a thespian um but i think lincoln is a pretty good um a pretty good example of what he's able to do when he's um able to do it and there you have it, folks, the spectrum of meh to he's actually really good. <laughs> you get both. Um, all right. We don't have anything on him, but we do have a few questions to close out the questions for the episode. Um, well, one's a, one, one's a comment. John Rivera wants to say, just want to say that the 2012 supporting actor lineup is the worst lineup this decade. That's it. That's the rant. John, I would ask you, have you seen the lineup of 2011? Just wondering. Yeah, I would not rank 2012 as the worst. Definitely not. But, hey, more power to you. Um, Tim B. has a follow-up question. Would you have nominated Logan Lerman and Ezra Miller from Perks of Being a Wallflower this year? If so, who would they replace? No. Also, I will echo that. <laughs> I don't love uh, I don't love Perks of Being a Wallflower in the way that I know a lot of people our yeah. age do. The book did not really resonate with me, and I thought the movie was fine. I know a lot of people really love it, and um, that's great for them. But it, it's just not my thing. So I would not nominate either of them for that particular film. Agreed. And Ronnie Cassell, would ha would Javier Bardem uh, gotten a nom for Skyfall if the Oscar consideration? Or if the Oscars considered Waltz lead like SAG did. I think on paper he was the closest, but I wouldn't have given it to him. Yeah, I remember him being in the conversation. 
for pretty much the entire season. And um, there's just Skyfall in general being in the conversation as a very serious um, threat um, to surprise on nomination morning. Um, I suppose I could have, I could conceive of a, of an outcome where he does crack that lineup, but um, I don't know if I personally would have nominated him. But um, on paper, like you were saying, it does seem likely that he could have snuck in. Heard that. Holy shit, we're at an hour and we haven't even reached the leads. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Strap in, folks, because we've got the leads still. Your nominees for Best Leading Actor of 2012 were... Bradley Cooper, Silver Linings Playbook. Let us start us off. Or let us start off with Joaquin Phoenix as Freddie Quell in The Master. This is his third of four nominations. Going into Oscar night, uh, nominations in lead actor uh, from Golden Globes, BAFTA Critics Choice, National Society Film Critics, and New York Film Critics. But he does take a win from the LA Film Critics Society. And in The Master, again, Joaquin plays Freddie Quell, who is uh, a veteran who is a little odd, doesn't really have his way that he has to, or does not really have a path in life. And um, really gets serious and takes takes a cue from this cult and uh, goes a little too far with his uh, with his um, dedication to them. So, uh, Brandon, thoughts? I quite like this performance. Um, Phoenix is playing a pretty complex person. Um, he's someone who seems to be dealing with a lot. And he's trying to find um, a, a resolution somewhere. I mean, he's a veteran who I would imagine is suffering from some PTSD. He probably had some mental illness even prior to that, that the PTSD just exacerbated. He's also dealing with some substance abuse uh, with alcohol. And he's just kind of just lost in life. Um, I sympathize for him with his day job of taking pictures of awful families. Uh, As part of the many things that I do at my day job, I also take pictures of people um, for their their passport pictures. And some people are just, some people don't mind at all. Like you just take their picture and they're like, fine. I've had to take like 10 different pictures of people before of like people who seem to think that their passport picture is a glamour shot for Vogue or something. And, um, when he finally snaps, um, I get it. So, um, I dig that aspect of his performance. Uh, it makes sense why a character like this would, um, find himself wrapped up with a group like the cause. Um, his character is, like I said, sort of lost, and he has not really received the help and support that he probably needs. So when this group comes along 
that is willing to take him in and make them part of themselves, um, I think it gives him some semblance of grounding and identity that he might not realize that he had been looking for for so long. And um, Phoenix uh, doesn't quite take it so easily. He just like in his iconoclastic nature, he even pushes back um, a little bit against the folks who seem to be trying to help him uh, because this character is just very troubled. And, um, you know, uh, we talked about De Niro uh, being, you know, a man of his generation. Uh, You don't open up about your feelings and uh, mental health is something that's never really discussed. Um, This movie uh, takes place in the past um, and uh, that was all the more true um, back then. So um, I think Phoenix uh, gives a pretty memorable performance of someone who is is very prone to becoming caught up with a a shadowy group like the cause and uh, i really enjoy just just watching him uh thrive on screen he seems to be really be into this character um that seems to be something he's just quite good at in general but um all that's on display here in the master even more so yeah you have to remember like and i think i think a lot of people forget this when watching this movie joaquin's Joaquin was born into a cult and um, the children of God cult. And so he has firsthand experience with being in a cult and seeing his parents and other adults around him. So this, what he's pulling into this performance here is really fascinating because it may not be acting. It may be what he actually saw in real life, which if that's the case, even though I don't also believe in method acting, it's fully method as hell. Um, it is fascinating what he's doing here. It 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 almost feels like you're watching a painting being painted in real time because you could see a broad stroke of color and then all of a sudden there's a shadow that's that that's right underneath that. And what he's doing with Freddie Quell is so, it, it kind of leaves me in awe. And I, I'm, I'm just very fascinated by it. Now, I know there was a lot of criticism with him last year with Joker being like, oh, he did this role better in The Master. Not even the same. I, I'm sorry, but that is some bullshit. You cannot compare the two. They could not be more different. Um, acting, tone, um, character i mean just completely different i think that's a superiorly or superiorly i can't even talk english right now um it's a it's just a horribly wrong comparison um so stop that and yeah i think this is really good again phoenix shows us that well guess what he can act yeah and he does something here that um doesn't happen often where i feel concern for um, not only the character, but the actor playing them. Where, like, I was actually w- wondering, Joaquin, are you okay? Like, while watching this, uh, which doesn't happen very often. And I think that personal connection um, from his past that he is in all likelihood bringing to this character has a lot to do with that. 
but he's always been just a very immersive actor. So just all things considered, um, I was, I was worried about him, uh, while watching this movie. So go Joaquin. We have to remember too, that this came out, this was like the quote unquote Joaquin comeback because there was those like three years where he was pretending that he wasn't acting anymore to film that really fucking weird uh, documentary that no one, that everyone just seems to have forgotten. So it was, um, it, yeah, it was interesting. It was really interesting. Yeah, he's a character. Yeah. All right, next up we have Hugh Jackman as Jean Valjean in as what Brandon referred to, Les Miserables. Um, this is his sole nomination, and going into Oscar night, he wins a Golden Globe for actor in a comedy musical. Um, but nominations everywhere else, from BAFTA Critics' Choice and SAG Times 2 for an actor and cast. Um, in Les Miserables, again, Hugh plays Jean, who steals some bread, goes to jail, adopts a whore's baby. I don't fucking know. Awful. Awful movie. Brandon, let's talk. Um, you know, I'm glad Hugh Jackman got this opportunity that, uh, he seems very happy to have. Um, you know, he was always kind of known within the theater world of being, you know, a musical theater performer. I feel like there for the longest time during his, like, the first half of his Hollywood career, that was something that a lot of the general public didn't know about. Um... And then he kind of bursts out with this, and he hosted, did he host the Tonys, or was it the Oscars? I don't remember. Where he did a big musical number, and, you know, he was also literally on Broadway, I think, in a musical. Um, You know, he's got The Greatest Showman now, and um, I think this is something that he probably had been wanting to do for a long time, for that first, like, 10 or 15 years of his career. And when you watch him on screen in this film... I think it kind of reads that he is just so thrilled to have um, this performance now as part of his uh, body of work. Um, But personally, it's not really my thing. I don't hate the movie to the extent that most people do. I don't think it's particularly great by any means. Um, But it's got some redeeming factors. Um, I think Hugh Jackman is doing well enough um given the parameters of the movie and uh what he's working with um he's definitely got um the charisma um the uh film diversion of this calls for um that's really about it uh it really just comes down to i suppose a matter of taste um i get why people like this uh but it's not exactly something that I gravitate toward. I don't think he would ever make, you know, a personal lineup for me. But um, he's fine. I see. I'm glad he got to do it. He seems uh, pleased with what he's doing and good for him. But uh, that's all. No. Anything else on Hugh Jackman? I don't think so. Okay, moving on. Um. <laughs> We have this year's winner, Daniel Day-Lewis, as Abraham Lincoln in Lincoln. This is his fifth of six nominations and his third win. Going to Oscar night, he wins Everything Under the Sun, Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Drama, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, 
National Society of Film Critics, New York Film Critics, and he wins at SAG for actor, but is nominated with a double nomination for cast as well. In Lincoln, again, Daniel Day-Lewis plays Abraham Lincoln, who, and this is the uh, the story of him trying to uh, push the amendment through to free the slaves during the Civil War. Um, this is also interesting, I just want to note before you talk about this, that while we've always had photos of Lincoln, Daniel Day-Lewis was the very first person to essentially bring in the quote-unquote voice of Lincoln, even though we've had films before. But I want to discuss that a little bit more here with you. So let's start that now. Yeah, it's kind of funny um, when people talk about this movie and um, Day-Lewis's performance, when people are like, oh, he was just like Lincoln. He captured Lincoln perfectly. When, as far as I'm aware... There's no primary video footage of Lincoln. So, I mean, we might have um, an image or voice in our head. I mean, of course, we have images. There's photographs and paintings and whatnot. But um, as far as, like, voice goes, as I mean, besides, like, maybe other people's descriptions of his cadence and the timbre of his voice or however you say that word, um, he, doesn't, he wasn't really uh, mimicking anything. That's just sort of what Day-Lewis chose to do. And he managed to basically confirm a lot of people's uh, own images of Lincoln. I mean, he looks like the photographs and the paintings that we have um, from the day, and so I'm sure that adds layers of, you know, authenticity, or whatever you want to call it, um, to the performance, and I think he is quite convincing. Um, he's consistent within his performance, and it's clear he was doing, you know, the Daniel Day-Lewis homework, um, but um, for me, it's not really a performance that I find myself digging through, like, of course, you know, there's layers of some subtlety and nuance with his demeanor and um, his postures and all of that. But I, I find myself just sort of sitting back and watching the movie in a pretty casual way. When uh, Whenever he's on screen, I'm not quite as fascinated um, by what he's doing than, say, what, like, Sally Field or even Tommy Lee Jones are doing. Maybe it's because um, his Lincoln does seem to be, I don't know if fan service is the right word, but his Lincoln is basically capturing what everyone's imagination says um, that this legendary president was. Um, perhaps I'm doing him a disservice, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, that is, but um, it's impressive. I'll give him that. It's just not, it's not the performance that I find myself the most curious about for whatever that is or whatever that means. No, I get it for sure. It always fascinates me that this was the shoe in, like there was no way in hell. I mean, this was like Meryl and Sophie's choice styled shoe in for this, for this ceremony. Um, because uh, Lincoln is a fine movie. It's not great. Um, but Day Lewis, I, I don't, I really just don't understand the fascination at this time, even to it now that people are just like, 
yep, this was it. Out of this entire lineup, this was it. Because, yeah, it's it's good. It's good. But the material you are right isn't really there for him. Like it is with, like, another cast. Like, I do think Sally Field is the best of the three trio. Um, but it's 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 not something that I watch and I'm like, that's acting. You know what I mean? I... Um, well- I mean, I watch it and see acting. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is clearly... No, 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 no. I don't mean it in that. I Like, like when I said, if you want to learn acting, you watch, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman in these two movies or Ellen Burstyn here. Yes, it's acting, but it's not, like, that act. Like, it doesn't blow me away type of acting. Yeah, it's a different um, approach. Yes. So it's it's just fascinating to me. Um. I don't have negatives about it in the way that it's bad acting or anything. I I think my negatives to it are just like, I'm a little, I want to know what about this specifically locked him in so much. Um, You know, we've talked about Day-Lewis twice now, and I'm not a fan of Phantom Thread either, but I am a fan of his other work, and we'll get to those. And it's, it's, it's just, I think Day Lewis, as in general, just fascinates me as a as an actor. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to talk about this one because I don't know, I don't know how to put my feelings to words. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's interesting. I'll just say it's it's interesting. Right. So I don't want to write him off completely because there is definitely technique going on here. Um, Day Lewis is a very cognizant performer um he is i think especially aware of every muscle of what every muscle in his body is doing um in his hands and in his face and uh what his vocal cords are doing um there is a very he has a very unique approach to his characters that is i think unlike just about anyone and so i think he has that working in his favor he is so specific in this performance. And I mean, it kind of has to be said, he also has the character itself working in his favor. I mean, he is playing the person who most people cite as, if not the greatest, one of the greatest American presidents of all time. And I I would say he did not disappoint um, a lot of audience members when it comes to how they envision this person. And, I mean, he has his own brand of charisma, and he's a passionate person in this film. He's fighting for the right things, and it's, a, once again, a character who's very easy to rally behind. And all of that, in addition to Daniel Day-Lewis's signature um, technique, uh, he had a lot of things working in his favor. So I understand why this win happens. Um but I suppose you'll hear in several minutes whether I agree. But um, I I get it is what I'm saying. I'm interested to see where this goes for the ranking. I'll yeah. just keep it at that. Moving on? Yeah. Sure. All right. We have Denzel Washington as Whip Whitaker in Flight. This is a sixth of nine nominations and going into Oscar night, Golden Globe. 
actor in a drama, Critics' Choice, and SAG all na- nominate him for actor. Um, in Flight, again, Denzel plays Whip, who is a pilot who struggles with drinking, who gets really, really drunk, and uh, the night before he's supposed to fly, which, if you don't know, you're not supposed to do that, um, and then drinks uh, while flying, and the plane goes awry, and in a scenario where everyone's supposed to die, he saves everybody, but then the FCC comes out and investigates, and then he's on trial that despite saving all these people's lives, he was driving drunk. Um, let's talk. What do you think? So I have kind of mixed feelings on this one. Um, I think the movie is just okay, and it is quite long for a movie of this um, scope and um, plot. Like, this is a two and a half hour movie that I don't think justifies its runtime. And I know that's I know that's not Denzel Washington's fault exactly, but I feel like the movie brings him down. Um, I think if the movie were tighter, um, his performance would shine more. Because I think he is quite quite good in this, in the way that Denzel Washington is just in generally quite good uh, most of the time. But I think he, I, I don't know if he really carries the movie in the way that he needs to, and I think that hurts his performance. Um, in individual moments, I think he's really solid. Um, the, I guess you could call it the confession testimonial scene toward the end where he admits um on the record that that he's an alcoholic uh, that he flies drunk is really really moving stuff um on its own but i think it sort of gets buried within how unnecessarily large this movie is attempting to be it seems like this movie wants to be an epic drama but it really does not need to if it had been more of a i don't know a chamber piece perhaps denzel would shine a little bit more um so i think the movie's not doing him very many favors um despite how well he seems to be doing on his own so i kind of come at it at a couple different ways and uh my feelings on it overall are just generally sort of mixed um, I can definitely see the uh, the um, oh, what's the word I'm, uh, the criticism for the uh, the the runtime for sure. I think this though is such an underrated performance. I think Denzel is giving us a fucking brilliant take on this struggle uh, or this realization and struggle of what he did while was right and heroic was also extremely wrong. Um, the breakdown scene when he's getting interrogated by Melissa Leo and he talks about being drunk is one of the best moments in this entire double lineup uh, from any actor. Um, you could tell that admitting to him being the one drinking is going to ruin him forever and he's struggling with that and he's realizing and struggling that this um addiction has truly spiraled out of control and you can tell that he wants um he wants so badly for them to just say 
you, no matter what you save these people, we're going to let it go. And his realization that it's not going to happen that way is, is really heartbreaking and fascinating. Um, you know, the movie, his, his performance here in a way really is kind of a buildup. Um, it, it's, it, I've used this uh, before. I do think this is, you can compare this to a good edging session because it is, it's like it's, something's coming, something's coming. Oh, it's building up, it's building up, it's building up. And then the moment it happens, it's like that burst of like, yes, like there it is. Um, and kudos to him. Um, I do think had um, Day-Lewis not had this whole campaign uh, and and uh, narrative of Locke, I think Denzel really would have been uh, one to look out here. Because that, I mean, those final that that final twenty minutes with him especially is just fucking mind blowing, and uh, I like it a lot. People, be nice to this one too. The movie's not great, but the performance is really, really good. Yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to get at. Uh, just because the movie is the movie has its flaws, but inside of it, there is a very um, heart rending and. Uh, very technically precise performance coming from Denzel. Um, he's playing a very strong yet vulnerable uh, man, and he brings a lot of um, sincerity to the performance. It's just, um, it's too bad that the, I feel like the movie doesn't do him justice as a performer. Understand. Again, I understand the criticisms where the criticisms are here. Um, so trust me, I get it. Yeah. So anything else before we move on to, uh, Bradley Cooper? Um, I think that about sums it up. We have reached the end of Bradley Cooper's <laughs> entire Oscar filmography already. Crazy. Uh, this is, uh, Bradley Cooper's first of eight nominations. Uh, he plays Pat Solitano in Silver Linings Playbook. In, uh, Silver Lining, oh, I'm sorry, uh, going into Oscar night, he doesn't win anything except for the National Board of Review for Best Actor, and Critics' Choice does that stupid thing where they're like, actor in a comedy, and then actor. He wins actor in a comedy. Everywhere else, he's nominated for Golden Globe, Comedy and Musical, uh, BAFTA, Critics' Choice for Best Actor, Spirit Award for Best Actor, and SAG, he gets two for actor and cast. In SLP, again, Bradley plays Pat, who is a man who has a mental break after... Um, catching his wife cheating and deals with his new life after getting out of a mental hospital uh, that Jack Weaver, just for Jack Weaver, um, saves him from or releases him from. And the relationship he has to build now with his family and this new girl who was played by the wrongly casted Jennifer Lawrence. Um, so let's talk. So I think Silver Linings Playbook gives Cooper a lot of opportunities. Um, this is a character sort of similar to um, Joaquin's character in The Master, who is um, going through a lot, and he, he um, needs a bit of help in life. Uh, but he's living in a different time, and I think that benefits him a bit. Um, this is also a movie where he gets to uh, flex a bit of uh, chops. He um, It gives him a lot of opportunities to play the, the spectrum you know, of emotions. And uh, with it being a comedy, um, they're able to really play play it up and play into it. Um, I don't recall if I've said this before,
before, maybe I did. But um, I, although I like Silver Linings Playbook, I don't love it quite to the extent that a lot of other people do. And um, I think that might be why I'm not quite over the moon with the performance, but I think it is a great um, debut nomination for Bradley Cooper. Um, that really showed a lot of people that he could be a serious actor. I mean, he was one of those people who I think was um, frequently being written off as maybe like just the next movie star, but not, you know, like a serious actor. Because there in the years before this, you know, he had the Hangover movies and Limitless and the A-Team and some like rom-coms and things like that. But this was, you know, a performance that demonstrated to a lot of people, perhaps for the first time, that he had some he had some real style and um, an approach um, that went a little bit deeper than just his his looks and charm. Um, so I think the movie does benefit him in that way. Um, it seems quite geared to a lot of his strengths as a performer. Um, and I think it's a just simply an enjoyable, likable performance, even though he is himself, you know, a flawed person. Um, it's one that you, that you enjoy watching just to see where this character goes and how Cooper is going to surprise you. So um, it's one that I admire but I can't quite say that I love it to the extent that I know that a lot of other people do. Yeah, you're right. This was, remember, the first time we got to see serious but seriously funny, well, serious but funny Bradley Cooper as we got seriously funny Bradley Cooper from The Hangover. Um, you know, Bradley Cooper up until this was really cast as, like, the douchey guy or the douchey boyfriend. I mean, Wedding Crashers. Um, he actually had a really, really great show. Uh, fuck, what was it? It was on Fox. Um, it was um, a cooking show, not like a cooking show in like Gordon Ramsay, but it was a it was a scripted comedy series. It'll come. I'll look it up. Um, but yeah, so this was like a great welcoming into the Academy with him, and I really like this one too. I think this is great. Um, I think this is Bradley Cooper's best nomination. And, I mean, I gave him the Oscar for A Star is Born a couple weeks back. So, it's, it's you know, it's be interesting. Um, but, yeah, I think this is his best. And it is truly – oh, Kitchen Confidential. Great TV series. It was only one season. Find it if you can. It's really good. Um, and, anyway, it is – it was um, – Silver Lines Playbook. It was a great um, experience to watch this in theaters for the first time. Um, and his performance really brought forth that. I mean, there's that scene where he's going on a run and he goes back to the school and he runs into like one of the secretaries and she's like, get away, get away, get away. And she's like, he's like, no way, tell me, tell me where she's at. And, you know, they play off each other really, really well. Everything about Silver Linings Playbook meshes right. And I know this is going to sound like I'm just being mean at this point, except for Jennifer Lawrence. Like, so like everything works well in this movie, except for her. And we have to give I have to give props or props are due because the main the main part of the dish is Cooper. I think if the if they had miscast this in the way that they did her, it wouldn't work as well. So while 
everything is working where it needs to be, he does hold even what doesn't work. And that is a testament to what he's bringing to this role. Um, I think it's really fascinating what he's what he's able to accomplish here. And I think it's a lot of fun. And I think it's a great welcome back to the, or welcoming to the Academy. But yeah, I would even though I had given him the Oscar for um, um, A Star is Born, I do think this is his best nomination. So kudos to him. Yeah, he makes the most of this character. And, um, you know, when years and years in the future, when we're looking back on Bradley Cooper's um, career and, you know, ranking his top performances, um, I have no doubt that Silver Linings will be toward the top, even, you know, given he has, you know, presumably a long time to keep turning out great performances. Um, this is one that I think resonates quite well. Um, and I think it's going to, I think it will remain beloved for a long time i agree as well i agree and queens before we get to the rankings a word from well me and our sponsor have you wanted to share a bit of the spotlight with i don't know meryl streep jessica lang angela bassett and maybe hopefully one day someone like aquafina or play a game where daniel kalua is on a team well this year queens you can thanks to today's sponsor the star draft as the listeners already know, Hollywood Awards season is finally almost, almost here, and God knows it's a long one this year, and the Star Draft lets you be a part of it like never before. What is it, though? Well, I'll tell you. It's a little like fantasy football. I don't know what that is, but I do know that it meets the Golden Globes, and I definitely know what that is, and here's how it works. Head to thestardraft.com to create a league to invite friends or join a public league to make new ones. Draft a team of 10 actors and musicians, musicians who are actors or actors who happen to sing. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. Do you think Olivia Coleman is going to sweep every awards show this winter? Draft her. I know she did the last time. She did really, really good. Hashtag the favorite. Before every nomination and award show, set a lineup. Every time your actor or musician earns an accolade, they earn your team points. Then sit back, relax, watch the awards ceremonies as you, I don't know, drink a beer, eat some nachos, fight with your grandma. I don't care, but rehearse your acceptance speech. The site's top scoring team at the end of Oscar night earns a cash prize. Hey, you may not walk away with an Oscar, but you will walk away with cash in your pocket. It's 100% free. And because we love the Star Draft and you all so much, well, most of you, we've created a public league that you can join right now. Seriously, join us. All you have to do is sign up and join our Academy Queens League at thestardraft.com. That's www.thestardraft.com. We look forward to beating you all award season long and probably beating you more than others. Love you guys. Well, um, as a reminder, your supporting actor nominees were Christoph Voltz for Django Unchained, Alan Arkin for Argo, Robert De Niro for Silver Lang's Playbook, Philip Seymour Hoffman for The Master, and Tommy Lee Jones for Lincoln. And I'm giving my number five spot to Christoph uh, vaults. I think I've pronounced his name 10 different ways by now uh, for Django Unchained, um, just simply because of category questionability. Um, I think he's quite great in Django Unchained. I think it, um, you get a really good sense of who he is as a performer, um, but uh, he definitely should not be in this category, especially considering there are much truer supporting parts in this film. Uh, like DiCaprio, Don Johnson, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, 
who very easily could have been in this category instead um, based on their roles in the film. Uh, so yeah, just pure category uh, reasons. Uh, he's my number five. Um, number five, also Christoph Waltz. Um, really good, but yeah, unfortunately, this is this is one of those times where I like I understand that I have to place him here because of the fraud, but I'm like kind of sad about it because it's not a bad performance. So, yeah, Christoph Waltz at uh, number five. My number four is Robert De Niro for Silver Linings Playbook. Um, I think this is a better performance than most people give it credit for these days. Um, I like it very much in comparison to a lot of the other stuff that De Niro has turned out. Um, it stands out in its own way, but I don't find the performance quite as memorable as some of the others in this lineup. So even though I um, think it deserves more respect, it's unfortunately only my number four in this particular lineup. Wow, I am genuinely shocked by this because I purposely didn't bring this up for this person, but Philip Seymour Hoffman has to go at four because this is also a blatant category fraud performance. So I'm genuinely shocked that you did not also agree with this, and here is why. Um, he has exactly, when it comes to screen time, I know we're different on that, but he has one minute less than Christoph Waltz in his film. And granted, they're not the same amount of, of of running time here but this is a co-lead with Joaquin Phoenix and this also pains me to do this because I will say in this lineup had Seymour Hoffman been in the right category as a supporting actor he probably would have taken this for me um this is co-lead you cannot take his performance out like a supporting performance and the movie could could continue um, the, there wouldn't be any reason to follow Freddie Quell. There would not be any reason to get the story in. Um, Hoffman has many moments in this film where we're watching the story through his POV. Um, you, you wouldn't, again, you wouldn't be able to take his character out and there'd be an actual movie. It would be a short film about a, a, a dude coming home from the war. Um, so I'm actually shocked that you don't also see this as category fraud. Um, but yeah. Uh, he is the better of the two category frauds, but unfortunately, Philip Seymour Hoffman has to go at four because he should be in the lead category. So um, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, my number three is Alan Arkin for Argo. Um, this is another one that I feel deserves a little bit more respect than what it gets. Um, it's more than just a cute, a couple of um, memorable lines. I think he creates a pretty... Um, fleshed out character, but he's only in the middle for me for Argo. Um, number three for me, uh, getting to what I consider the actual supporting men here, um, Tommy Lee Jones. Um, this is just Grumpy Man Jones, so we've seen it before. Um, so my number two is uh, Tommy Lee Jones. I think he's more than just, you know, a grumpy guy. Um, he's definitely uh, struggling a bit here in Congress, uh, given who he's working with and what he's trying to accomplish. Uh, but he has a great charisma and presence to him. And I think he brings a lot of gravity um, to the role and gets to show us um, why this particular historical figure is um, should be remembered um, just as much as others from this era. But uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's my winner for the master. I understand why a lot of people say there's category issues with him, but I honestly never have seen him as lead. 
like when I first watched the movie and watching it again not too long ago, I just I never really see him as carrying Corey in the way that um, Joaquin Phoenix's Freddy is. The POV always seems to be with Freddy. Um, Lancaster Dodd has a huge presence in it, but the movie's never really told from his perspective. And he's kind of stoic and static in a lot of ways in terms of um, pushing the story forward. Uh, Freddy's always the protagonist in my mind. Uh, Lancaster Dodd, though large and um, meaty in a lot of ways, never really takes that protagonist lens from Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I don't really use the could you take them out and the movie still works thing anymore. I think I may have used it as an example like in our early days, but there's a ton of supporting performances that you can't really take out without fundamentally altering the movie. So even though it could be used sometimes as an argument, um, this is one of those times where you can't. I mean, even Amy Adams, she's clearly supporting and you can't really take her out without fundamentally changing the movie either. So um, I think this is just uh, one of those supporting parts that is that looms quite large and um, I see why some people have an issue with it, but I've honestly never seen him as a co-lead in this. So um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's my winner for uh, The Master. Interesting. All right. All right. Um, well, I do disagree, but we're going to shake hands as we do. And listen, if uh, anything, let's find out this way. What do you guys think? Let us know after you hear this episode. We always get the ads from you anyway, so do you think uh, Hoffman is lead or supporting? Sound off below. That's always fun, right? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to finish up this category here. Um, Alan Arkin is my runner-up, giving Robert De Niro the win here. Um, Arkin's great. Y'all need to back off of him because he is hilarious here, and he's having a lot of fun, and Argo is a great movie, and he's a great part of it. De Niro, though, in this lineup was my winner the night of. De Niro is my winner on uh, All These Years Later. Um, this is a whole set of De Niro that we have never gotten in any of his nominations, and it is fantastic. He is funny as fuck, and he is heartbreaking, and like Jack Weaver, Justice for Jack Weaver, um, he should also have won a supporting Oscar for Silver Linings Playbook. So um, Robert De Niro is my winner. You were correct there. Um, I was not correct with you. So let's see if any of us are correct with the leads, shall we? Um, as a reminder, your nominations for leading actor were Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln, Denzel Washington in Flight, Hugh Jackman in Les Miserables, um, Joaquin Phoenix in The Master, and Bradley Cooper in Silver Linings Playbook. Hugh Jackman at five. Get out of here. Nope. Number five. Hugh Jackman's also my number five. Um, I think he's fine in the movie. Um, it's really just a matter of taste. Uh, it's sort of a, a cup of tea situation. And um, for me, Hugh Jackman is not it. So he's also my number five. Denied from both of us. This will be interesting because I don't know if, I don't know how this is going to work out here. Number four is Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I do think he pulled in a lot of his personal trauma from being a part of and born into the Children of God cult. Um, but this is one of those scenarios with, it's like with who's left in the lineup, I got to place them somewhere. 
Um, so while Joaquin is good, he's number four here. Denzel Washington is my number four for flight. Um, and it's not because he's bad. I think he is doing quite well um, with this role. I just don't think um, he's being given all the tools and support that he needs to truly shine. Um, I think he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting here. And although that I am complimenting him in that way, I feel like a lot of that heavy lifting is pulling him down. Also, it's sort of um, there's there's two sides of that conversation. But um, for me, he's only number four in this lineup. Uh, my number three is this year's winner, Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, this, again, for me, is hard to put to words. Um, I think the, the voice is fascinating. It's, I think the voice work is the best thing about this here. Um, but everything else for me is just very much okay. Um, and therefore, okay usually is middle of the road. So I think third is a very fair spot for Daniel Day-Lewis, in my opinion. Number three for me is Bradley Cooper uh, for Silver Linings Playbook. I think Cooper's quite good here. And um, I see why so many people um, love him and love this film. But for some reason, this is a movie that's never quite clicked for me. And even though I recognize uh, that Cooper is really playing into a lot of the eccentricities of this character and making him believable, um, and I really admire that he was able to finally be taken seriously while in a comedy, um, which is a really cool thing. Um, it's once again just not quite something that I'm intrigued by. Uh, so he's only my number three for Silver Linings. So my number two is Denzel Washington, which means I'm giving Bradley Cooper the win. Um, starting with Denzel, this is fantastic. This is this needs more props. Um, like I said, his performance is like a really good edging, um, and uh, it's it's great. Um, again, I understand the criticisms with the movie's not great, but the performance is it's one of those things where the performance outshines the film, um, and you know, really really good work here. Um, re regarding this decade, because it is now the third time we've talked about Denzel, and it's going to be a minute until we talk about it again, it's probably my favorite of his three nominations. Um, so there's that. Regarding Cooper, uh, this is the second time that I'm rewarding him. He should have two um, for Stars Born and for this. There, This was my winner on Oscar night. This was my winner now, which means, yes, Three out of the four people who were up for Oscars for Silver Linings should have won them. And, of course, obviously for me, Quivenge Janae Wallace was in lead, so she there was no way in hell that Jennifer Lawrence deserved it over her. Um, for Bradley Cooper, though, this is great. This is um, this was funny. This was sad. This was everything I needed in every emotional spectrum. Um, really goes to... Uh, really goes to show you that if you're dedicated to your craft, you can pull off anything. And it, what I mean by that is that not every comedic actor can do drama. Not every dramatic actor can do comedy. Um, when you pull off, quote unquote, everything, you have no ease going in and out of either. And that's what Cooper really shows here. Um, his character work, I think, is the most interesting out of the five here. And uh, yeah, I, Cooper, easy winner for me. So you were correct, sir. Yeah. Um... Daniel Day-Lewis is my runner-up for Lincoln. Um, I mean, it's undeniable that a whole lot of craft and technique went into perfecting this performance. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis is 
unlike anyone else um, in the acting world today. Um, this performance is precise and consistent and um, somehow confirms everyone's vision of this person who existed 150 years ago. And um, it's, it's hard to deny that he is good here, even if it's not everyone's um, preferred acting style. He's doing something quite remarkable in this film. Uh, but Joaquin Phoenix and the Master is um, the type of performance that I find myself leaning into and um, analyzing and peeling back the layers and searching for those clues and those nuances and shades of gray. And he's a, a much more... I don't want to say he's a more complex character because I don't want to say that Lincoln's not complex, but there is, um, I feel like there's just more things to pick apart on a psychological level with this performance more so than um, the rest here for me. Um, I'm much more fascinated by what um, Phoenix is doing uh, on screen and whatever he was bringing to it in his off-screen uh, life. So um, I think this is a fantastic performance from Phoenix, and uh, I would have supported a win. So he's my winner on this particular lineup. So both of us, from both men, from the same movie. Yep. So yeah, I have Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman from The Master. And De Niro and Cooper from Silver Linings Playbook. I don't know if that's ever happened to us. I'm not sure. I don't think it has. I think this is a first, so kudos to you. Yeah. And kudos to me. Thank you for that one. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fucking with you. Um, all right. Well, uh, anything else for the listeners? Um, I don't think so. All right, I don't good. even know when this will be coming out. I don't like know. Like February? Something like Something that. Something like that. I don't know. We got, we got a while to go, but... With that said, there's only two weeks left, guys, and season six is in the can. Crazy. Right. Crazy talk. All right. Well, without further ado, I'm Joey Gentili. And I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this has been the Men of 2012 from Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. I don't think I've ever said it like that before for the ending. And on a count of three, we'll say goodbye. One, two, three. Goodbye. goodbye.